you want to open your Bibles to, um, we're going to be in quite a few different places, but we're going to start back in 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll be in Ephesians 1 and 2 Corinthians 10. So I'm going to throw those out there now. 2 Peter 1, Ephesians 1, and 2 Corinthians 10. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you because you said that where two or three gather in your name, you're in our midst. You are with us. And so you're here now. We ask that your anointing would come, that your words would find a place in our heart to produce fruit. Your words are spirit and they are life. And we ask that your words would come forth. I ask that you would uh, say through me what I'm supposed to say. Help me not say anything I shouldn't. I ask that it would produce fruit today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen. Well, we've been in a a series called Partakers of the Divine Nature. And we started out by saying that there's a spirit realm, there's an atmosphere that's available to us that Jesus paid for that many of us don't ever tap into. But it's, the, it's life in Christ. It's being partakers of the divine nature. And the verse that just outlines it the best is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. Everyone say everything. Everything pertaining to life and to godliness. So everything we need, Jesus paid for. Amen? Through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and his excellence. For by these, by his power, by his knowledge, by his excellence, by his glory, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Amen. How many have ever received a promise from God? They're precious. They're magnificent. And guess what they were sent to do? He tells us, through his promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. It's through the promises of God that we tap into the divine nature of God, the supernatural realm that we're allowed to live in because of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this, really important for where we're going today. Having escaped, and another translation says, having been acquitted, So having escaped or been acquitted from the corruption that is in this world by lust. And when we mention the word lust, most of us, our immediate thought is sexual perversion and some some form of lust like that. And yes, that is part of what lust is, but lust is beyond that and it's deeper. And so last week we talked about, we're going to get more into that in a minute, just put a pin in that, we'll circle back. And uh, anyway, um, (laughs) or we won't circle back. Anyway, last week we talked about that there are three heavens. There's the first heaven, which is where we live right here and right now. It's the atmosphere that that we're experiencing. Then there's the second heaven. It's where powers, principalities, and where angelic forces are battling for influence on the first heaven. And then there's the third heaven, right? Amen? Which is where God's throne is. It's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And we spent a lot of time last week outlining that if we are in Christ, we're not seated in the first heaven. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. We're also not in the second heaven where there's powers and principalities and angelic forces. We're actually above that. And the Bible says that that Jesus raised us up from the dead. Amen. And he seated us in Christ. Where? In heavenly places. So, yes, we have troubles and trials and hardships and disappointments and pain and suffering in this life. And we know that the second heaven influences the life here. But Jesus said there's an opportunity for us to be seated in Christ in heavenly places, which means that we're above powers, 
principalities, pain, suffering, darkness, evil. He's given us a seat where the authority that Jesus won at the cross, because he humbled himself and became a servant, and he was given the name above every name, right? We all, this is like Christianity 101. At his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then Jesus even said, all power and authority has been given to me. And then what did he do? And I'm giving it to you. So this is the opportunity that we have as Christians. Christianity is not a, it's just not just a religious exercise. It is a, it is a dangerous endeavor. We're supposed to be dangerous. We're not supposed to be innocuous. We're not supposed to be safe. We're supposed to bring fear to the powers and principalities that are fighting for souls here on the first heaven. And we don't do that by fighting from here or from the second heaven. We do it by sitting ourselves in Christ in heavenly places. Because if we fight from here, we have this perspective. How many have ever had a problem and you've only been able to see it from your perspective and, and you ask someone else in and they're like, oh, well, you're missing this. Why? Because I can't see the forest for the trees because I'm here. And Jesus says, I'm giving you an opportunity to have a place where you can go to receive solutions to the problems you see, but they won't come through your perspective from here. They'll come from a heavenly perspective. It's called the divine nature. And Jesus died to bring us into his divine nature. The reason that Jesus was so amazing and always on, how many, like, it always seemed like Jesus was on. Like me, I'm like, man, can I just get it right more often? Like yeah, everyone ever feel like, like, like goodness, but Jesus never got it wrong. He never missed an opportunity to get it right. Like if, if they ask him to give an explanation and God was like, don't give them an explanation, he didn't give an explanation and it frustrated him. If he was supposed to give an explanation, he did. If he was supposed to do something, he was just on. When they would, when they would bring in a temptation or try to trap him, his discernment would kick in and he would know exactly what they wanted and he wouldn't give them an opportunity. He was on all the time. And it's because he's, he was seated in this place of heavenly perspective where nothing here affected his behavior, his attitudes, or his words. He was only influenced by what he saw the Father do, what he heard the Father say. And Jesus didn't do all this to just show off, oh, look, I'm God's son. Look at, look at all the stuff I can do. Jesus did this to say, as I am, so are you in this world. Like Jesus said that. He's saying, follow my example. Like you don't have to do this. As a matter of fact, you don't have the capability to do this. It's impossible for us to do this divine nature thing. It's impossible to discipline ourselves enough to read the Bible enough, to, to discipline our flesh and do all these things that we think will access the divine nature. It's impossible for us to, from an earthly perspective, do anything that taps us into the divine nature. The only way that we can do that is to surrender. Yeah. It's surrender. The answer is to surrender. Amen? Let's, let's dive into this a little bit more. We'll teach a little bit more and then we'll, we'll talk a little. Ephesians 1, verse 18. And this is Paul to the church of Ephesus. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In that interesting words, the eyes of your heart, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We know that the heart 
is where all the springs of life come from, right? Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for out of your heart springs all of life's issues. And so Paul is saying to them, I pray not that your eyes would, would receive understanding or enlightenment, but the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you will know the hope of his calling. Come on. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things, everyone say all things, all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave Jesus, come on, as the head over all things and the church, the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all things, right? All, all in all, he fills all things. So Christ is seated at the right hand of God and he is seated in heavenly places and we are seated in Christ. Jesus was given all authority. I'm just reminding us, all right? Shaping how we see this. He's been given a name above every name and he gave us the same authority and the privilege to carry his name on, our, on us. That, that all things that are under his rule would also come under our rule because we're his body. I, I think we've, we've taken uh, the cross in Christianity and, and really made it about only about eternal life and life after we're here. And we're forgetting that Jesus said, the thief came to steal, kill, destroy, but I came to give life abundantly in the here and the now. And he came to make us dangerous. He came, so Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And then he says, as the Father sends me, I send you the same way. So we're here to make an impact on the earth. We're here to cause damage to the, to the kingdom of darkness. We're here to pull down strongholds and powers and principalities. We're here to bring breakthrough so that other people can enter, can, can enter into relationship with Jesus. We're not here just to play it safe and just build an ark and us and our family get in the ark and just pray that we're okay until Jesus comes. We're in a spiritual war. All around us, there's a spiritual war going on. Hell has been unleashed. We were talking even before service that, that ministers and prophets and people all over are talking about. There just seems to be this, this like the, the enemy knows his time is short. And he's like, go now, go now. All his, all his efforts and all of his armies. And so this is real. This is what's going on. You can't say I'm a Christian or a follower of Jesus and, and pretend to not be in a spiritual war. It's not, an, it's not a war over knowledge either. It's not a war over being and having the right set of facts. And it's not in a war of doing all the works either because, again, the scariest passage of Scripture in the Bible is these guys came to Jesus and said, hey, we prophesied in your name. We healed the sick. We raised the dead. We cleansed lepers. We did all this stuff in your name. And Jesus like, yes, you did all of that. But you did. But I didn't know you. So like it's, it's not about all this stuff we make it about. It's about our hearts being surrendered to Jesus and actually following him. My wife and I were just we had this 
this long talk last night um, about what our proper response should be when, when Christian leaders fall and this kind of stuff. And we're just talking about it. Like, look, like, honestly, we shouldn't know the stuff we know about them because I've never had dinner with this person. Why do I know that they fell and they did something wrong? Like, I have intimate knowledge of this person, yet I've never even been in the same room with them. Like, it feels wrong. And we've got this, this, this uh, Christian fame thing going that, that we promote people based on gifts and talents and, and, and we've gotten away from, uh, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And so we've moved away from discipling the church uh, in true discipleship and following Jesus. And we've created where it's a works-based, a gifts-based discipleship model. And we just had this, yeah, this is what we do for fun on Saturday nights, right? We know how to party. <laughs> so we're just having this talk while Family Feud's on in the background. <laughs> so we did laugh some. Um, anyway, and, and I was just thinking about that. That's so true. Like we, we don't do this discipleship thing and say it's about surrender. It's about picking up our cross and following Jesus. It's about realizing we're in a spiritual war and that the enemy can set things up in our lives that look really good, like fool's gold. And we can chase after those things because of desires in our heart. And, and it can get us way away from what God's purpose is for our life. And he tells us uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 10 that though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down imaginations and arguments and every high thing that sets itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought, everyone say every thought. Every thought. Every thought bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready we don't like this word, but here it is. We're ready to punish disobedience until full obedience is fulfilled. <clears throat> so because all those things that we open up are true, because we're seated in Christ in heavenly places and he's given us a power and authority to overcome all the traps and the weapons of the enemy, because all this is true, then we need to fight like it's true. We used to teach and talk about spiritual warfare all the time. Like all the time, literally. But we've, we don't talk about it a lot anymore. And we, we've kind of made it where it's like a, it's for the intercessors. Like the intercessors really need to know how to fight and make war. And everyone else can just trust the intercessors and the prophets. And, and no, we need to, to know how to fight for our families. Like I have three sons. And if, if I don't think that the world wants to strip everything that I've taught my sons about God from them, then I'm a fool. If we, can if we think we can live in the world we live in and send our kids off to schools and, 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 and watch the entertainment and, the, and the, the social media and all the stuff that's vying for our attention and vying for the thoughts that fill the space in our heads. If we think that the enemy has not apprehended those devices for his purposes, we're foolish. Yeah. Come on. He's broadcasting his lies 24-7. And for me to think that, oh, I can just live my life and try to be a good Christian and be safe and not war for my family, I'm a fool. Yeah. My family needs me to fight for them. Yes. They need me to stand at the door and say, you're not uh, over my dead body. Are you getting my sons? 
Over my dead body, are you coming into my marriage? Over my dead body, are you attacking my business or my, my grandkids? Over my dead body, because I'm going to war. I'm going to fight. And we don't fight from here. We fight from a different perspective. So we don't fight in reaction to what the enemy does. We actually fight with better tactics. Amen? How many of you ever read through the Old Testament and seen the way God gave them strategies for war that made no sense, but they were always the best tactics? Always. Like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. You take an army and you whittle it down to 300 and then you don't even give them weapons. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Or, hey, you know, all the different things. Like, they, they... this one was kind of brilliant. They cut the, the, the hamstrings and stuff of the horses from the, so they couldn't fight with the horses and chariots so that even, like, that's brilliant. But then there were some other ones. Here, march around and don't talk for six days. And then march seven times on the seventh day and then shout. And then the walls are going to, like, it doesn't make, that's not warfare tactics, but they were always the better tactics. God is giving every one of us the opportunity to be seated in heavenly places to have his warfare tactics. They may not make sense. They may seem strange, but they are mighty through God to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations and arguments and every high thing that that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. You see, it all starts with our thoughts. How many believe like our our mind, our thoughts are how many thoughts do we have a day? Can we even count them? Like goodness, no, like nonstop. It seems like we can have multiple thoughts at one time and they're just going in and out. And, and thoughts aren't, aren't evil. They're not all evil, right? They're just thoughts that come in and out. And, and guess what? Not all thoughts come from the same source. Some thoughts come from me. Some thoughts come from Satan. Some thoughts come from God. I have to be able to know what thought came from where, right? So I know what to do with it. But we don't move into, um, into disobedience just because we get a thought, right? Because we're supposed to apprehend that thought. And we're supposed to either surrender to it, like, oh, that's from God. I need to do what God says here. That's a good thought, God. I need to have your mind. That's called repentance. You say this, well, my mind needs to change. I change my thinking towards your thinking. I'm repenting now, and now I'm putting my attention toward your thought. Or if it's a bad thought, I take hold of that thought, and I throw it away. I get rid of it. And I replace that thought with a better thought. You see, if, if we don't do that, if we don't replace those thoughts with better thoughts, they will give birth to desire. Yeah. Come on. And if I follow that desire, it will lead to the Bible, what the Bible calls lust. All right? You see, in, um, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against us. And then what does it say? And do not lead us into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, all right, here's the key point for where we're going. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God does not tempt us. I am not tempted by God. Would you say that? I am not tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. So then how are we tempted? Well, we're tempted 
when we're drawn away by our own desires and we're enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings death. But every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. <clears throat> so what's the point? So if we're in a war and we're supposed to be fighting from heavenly places through our divine nature, we have to war where we take captive our thoughts and we have to win the battle for our thoughts. There, he mentions four things there. There are thoughts, there are arguments, there are strongholds, and there are lofty things. And I, I felt like it was good for us to go back and review these things because thoughts come in and they're, they're not always good or bad, like we said, um, but we have, to, we have to be in control of our thoughts, okay? Let me just ask it like this. How many of you have ever had a thought and you thought, man, that's, that's a right thing or that's a good thing? And we gave in to that thought, and you're like, oh, that was a really bad idea. That happens. Or how many have ever had it the other way? God drops a thought, I need to do this thing. Man, that turned out really good. How, how did I think of that? Well, God sent the thought there. See, there are thoughts that are going on, and th this is part of where our warfare takes place, okay? We're talking about spiritual warfare. You can't talk about it without talking about thoughts. It all starts there. Yeah. The battle is over who has who has authority or who has a place of, of honor in our thoughts. <clears throat> then he gets into, and I want to talk about speculations and arguments, okay? Arguments are reasoning that is contrary to the wisdom of God. So these are decisions that are not birthed through the mind and through the wisdom of God. They're filtered through earthly mindsets. They're rooted in fear, self-preservation, poverty mindset, pain, offense, selfish ambition. So we have thoughts. Okay, good. We take care of our thoughts. We take captive the bad ones. We send them away. We take captive the good ones and surrender to them. And if we throw the bad ones away, we get a better thought. Great. Now what? Well, now we have these arguments that we've built up. So a lot of us have built up systems, all of us do, of things where over time, over our life, we've learned this is how we handle these things. And we have arguments and we have these things built up. And he's saying, you have to pull down those arguments. This is, this is, how you, this is not how you're supposed to cope with this thing. This is not how you're supposed to think about this. Right now, the world has arguments that they're pushing that sound good, some of them. But they're not good. Yeah. Right? And what happens is if I leave this thought long enough, it becomes an argument. And if the argument stays there long enough, it becomes a stronghold. And he told us to pull down strongholds, right? Yes. Did you know that the actual like Hebrew and when you get into to, to what a stronghold is, it actually says it's a rebellious castle. It's a fortified argument. It's a it's a place where we feel safe. So we hide ourselves inside of its walls. And the problem with that is the name of the Lord is supposed to be our strong tower. Yes. The righteous run into it and are safe. Not our coping mecha mechanism is a strong tower yeah. or our vices or our fill in the blank. Wherever we go to feel safe, if it's not from God, it is a stronghold. Yeah. And some of us learn strongholds from our families. It's passed on. Well, this is how we cope with bad, bad news. This is how we cope with a broken heart. This is how we cope with betrayal. And they become strongholds. Like, why is it a stronghold? Because it's the place I go to hide. It's the tool I use so that I can feel safe. Well, we're not supposed to, we're not the Savior, right? 
We're not supposed to keep ourselves safe. This sounds, just give me a little leeway for a second. Jesus is our protector. And I come to him and I say, I don't know how to make myself safe. How many, how many of us really know how to keep ourselves safe? <laughs> like, sometimes we're like, man, I got that one right. But we really don't know what we need. But Jesus knows. So if I'm not feeling safe, there's a place I can go where I can feel safe. And I can always trust that if I go through him, then I'm in a strong tower, not a stronghold. And I'm building my life on wisdom and I'm building my life on his foundation and his surrounding safety and presence instead of the things that I build up in my life. See, when we believe these lies, we build strongholds to protect ourselves. A stronghold is a lie we've given agreement to. When we believe a lie, we empower the liar. And our agreement with that, (laughs) with the lie, empowers it to influence our decision making. So now we can make a decision that sounds like wisdom, but it's actually fear based. We've done a lot of that over the last couple of years. It sounds really wise to shut the whole world down for safety. But look what it's done. Look at what it's done to our young people. Look what it's done. Have you heard of the fentanyl issues going on right now? Has anyone even heard of this? Hundreds and thousands of people are dying right now. It takes such a small amount of fentanyl to kill someone. I think they said if you take the the face of a penny and from George Washington's beard to his eyes, that small size can kill like five million people. And it's pouring across our borders. And guess who's, who's taking this stuff? Our teenagers, our, our suburban housewives, the, the people on the streets. People are dying across, all over because we thought it's really smart to lock everyone in their house. Forgive me, but it's created mental illnesses and issues in our society that we thought, oh, we're being really safe and it sounds wise, but I don't know how much of it ended up being wise for all of, all of society. We all needed to do what was best and smart for us. And we, through the whole uh, pandemic thing, we we told you that. Do what the Lord tells you to do. I I don't care what you do. Do what the Lord tells you to do, and I'll do what the Lord tells me to do. But when we do things, we think we're making decisions with wisdom. If it's done through fear, the consequences of that, we can't ever see them. And guess what the consequences always are? Death, destruction, stealing, always. Because the stronghold is the enemy's place where he traps us. We think we run into the stronghold and are safe, but actually we've trapped ourselves. And we're not safe. Everyone okay? So thoughts can become arguments and speculations, and then those things left unchecked become strongholds. And strongholds are these places we try to find shelter, a place of escape, And then those things come because of lofty things. I would say the best way for me to describe this are lofty things are ways of thinking that are acceptable in society. There are like it's it's common knowledge that this is what we teach in schools or it's common knowledge that this is this is what you need to do to raise a healthy family. It's common knowledge. This is how you're healthy in your physical body. Like it's accepted 
but it doesn't always mean it came from God. There are these high thoughts, these lofty things. And when we come against them, they're actually enemies toward, to God. Some of them look like this, humanism. Humanism, right? Humanism is, we can be good without God. That's really what humanism is. I can be good without God. All right? But there's a Christian version of humanism that says, I can work really hard and be good. See how the world system creeps into the, or the church system, the, the religious system. The world system says we don't need God to be good. We can be good on our own, and we can actually define good. And then the church, under that influence of that high thought, that lofty thing, says, well, we can work really hard and be righteous. It's being influenced by the same evil thinking, right? Then there's atheism. We're like, well, I, I would never say there is no God. But then there's the religious side of it that's affected by this thought that where we live as if there is no God. When problems come, we act like there's not a God to run to. Or we don't really give him our attention for very long. And it's as if he doesn't exist. It's being influenced by the same thinking. But we like, oh, well, we're in the church. We're okay. Are we? Then there's that whole agnostic thing. Well, who can even know? Like, who can really prove that there is a God or isn't a God? So we're just going to say here, well, how does that thinking come into the church? Well, we read the scripture a few weeks ago that says, we don't know if God will do good or bad for us. We don't know if God's going to answer our prayer or not answer our prayer. So like, who can know? Who can know the mind of God? And this thinking creeps into the church. It also comes in through misplaced mercy. I would say right now, there's a lot of that going on. The misplaced mercy is where that mercy rises up because we feel like we're defending someone who's offended. And we feel like we're going to step in and defend the oppressed or whatever, but we're doing it because the, the trigger for us feeling this mercy wasn't God. It was offense. And I will feel misplaced mercy when I have the same offense as another person. And I recognize it. If I have daddy issues and I'm in the presence of someone and their father mistreats them or gives them a look or does something that feels familiar, I can get misplaced mercy for their offense and pick up my brother's offense. Misplaced mercy, right? It's like we think that we're we're really being merciful. You hear it a lot in the whole abortion thing. And, and yeah, I'm going to start wearing this thing. We used to wear these things forever. I'm like, bring it back, like the life, right? Praying for the end of abortion, right? It's a big, it's a big deal, right? But like, well, we don't, want, we don't want someone to be burdened with a child before they're ready. It sounds really merciful, doesn't it? <laughs> to the world, they think yeah. it's merciful, but it's really not mercy at all. The world system says it's merciful to teach kids that, hey, if you don't feel like a girl in your body, we can just transition you. That's not merciful, but that's the wisdom of the world. Yeah. Oh, come on. They're 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 trapped in the, they're trapped in the wrong body. They're being they're disappointed. They're they're depressed. Well, just follow the logic of the misplaced mercy over time. And the what's the suicide rate in the trans community? It's like 40 percent higher. Is that the right number? Like 40 percent higher than normal in that community, because we don't know how to treat people from the earthly perspective. We have to see from God's perspective and we can't get our mercy from here. We have to get our mercy from there. Yeah, come on. But there's this misplaced mercy. 
We, we pick sides when nations go to war. Like, well, we're, we're going to fly that flag for that little country because the big bully country came to fight them. Be careful when you pick sides. We're in Bethel Leaders Network, and one of, one of, the, one of the missionaries' wives on there, she says, we're on God's side. We, God doesn't pick sides. And I was like, whoa, because at first I was like, yeah, big bad, that country's real. I'm not, and, you know, everybody knows, like, I'm being really wise here, but big bad country's got to be bad. We, we grew up knowing they were bad. I mean, all the Rocky, the Rocky like, that, they're bad. They can't be good. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I want to take this other country's side. And she's like, we can't pick sides. We're on God's side. But misplaced mercy will get us to throw our attention. Just look at the social media badges. They, they changed their banner. I'm with this country. I'm with this cause. I'm, I'm with this thing. How many have seen it? Am I right? Like, and we, we don't, whoever they tell us to change our badge to is what we don't know. We're being educated from a world system. We're not receiving our mercy from the right place. Sometimes mercy requires discipline. Yeah. Now, oh, that sounds, that sounds harsh. Don't discipline someone. Sometimes it requires it. And I'm pointing out these things because these are thoughts, arguments, and speculations, and strongholds, and ways of thinking that the world says are okay, but have crept into the church. And we can't allow ourselves to think like that. Amen? Bill Johnson says it best. We We cannot afford to have any thought in our head that God didn't let go there or ask to go there or sin there. We cannot afford to have that thought in our head. We have to think about things from his perspective. It's so easy to pick sides. And in our American culture, we, it's easy for us to pick sides. If you don't like basketball and you turn on game seven of the basketball games tonight, you're like, I don't really care. I don't have a team. Which team are you probably going to pick? Who's the underdog? That's American culture. We're like, we want the underdog, right? Because we want to fight for the oppressed. We want to fight for the small. And, and what happens is sometimes we build our lives looking for these f- people that are oppressed and wounded. And, and, and you know, I had an encounter recently where I, I want to give insight. So I, I'm going to be very vague, but I'm going to give insight. This person was approaching me wanting mercy. And so I'm listening to the story. I'm like, okay, all right, that sounds right listening to the facts okay and then as it went on the Lord's like be be careful like okay he's like don't don't give your mercy to this right now I'm like oh this is going to be really awkward right now because <laughs> this person's wanting mercy they're wanting sympathy from me and I'm having to navigate in the middle of this yeah. okay and I don't get it right all the time. Sometimes I get it wrong and I pick the wrong side. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go back and clean up my mess. But the Lord's wanting us to stop and be like, OK, Lord, where is the influence of this thought coming from? Where is the influence of this argument coming from? Where is the influence of the system right now that's wanting to pull down uh, men and women of God who stumble and fall in, in the faith? Why would I jump in and say, yeah, that person should be thrown out in utter darkness, never to be seen from again? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, if, it, like, if everyone knew my stuff, I'd be out in outer darkness and never to be heard from again. Yeah. But because I'm not famous, come on, right? And so we've got to be really careful. There is a, a spiritual war that's going on right now. And the way the war is being fought is through thought. It's through thought. Hey, did God really say 
Well, so she had to start thinking. Huh. Yeah, yeah, God did say this. Well, did God, are you really going to die? And there was a thought that was embedded into the, the reasoning that created our, our, our stumble and stumble fall in the fall from the very beginning. And it's the same tactic right now. The enemy knows he can't force us to just go into sin. So he just plants thoughts. He plants lies. And he wants us to come into agreement. And if he plants a lie in our childhood and it stays there over time, he's like, oh, if that thing goes unnoticed, it will become a stronghold someday. And then I have a place where they think they can run and hide, but they're actually running into a trap. Yeah. And the Lord wants to free us today from strongholds. I really feel that. I felt of all, of all this stuff. I told Mandy last night, I was like, this is such a big topic. I don't want to. I want to do it justice, but you, you, it, for time, you can't really dive into all of it. But what I felt strongly was the Lord wanted to remove these false places of safety, these strongholds that we've been running to. And so the question is, when I run to those places, am I ever really safe? Let's think back. Have I ever really, really felt safe? If you're thinking about that right now, the Lord wants you to know today you are going to leave here feeling safe, that you're going to be in a safe place. He's going to wrap his arms around you. He's going to become your stronghold, your strong tower. You're going to run and you're going to be safe inside of his arms. You're not going to have to worry. You're going to be safe. He will protect you. So we're going to mind our thoughts. We're going to be careful and take care that we take our thoughts and we bring them into the obedience under Christ, right? We're going to be careful with our arguments and speculations. And we're going to be careful with our strongholds and with the lofty ideas of, of human nature. Would you stand? We're going to close it out there. <clears throat> We'll close with this. I use this a lot. I'm going to use it again. But just because we've used it a lot doesn't mean it's not powerful or effective. In the Old Testament, the way they referred to God and talked about God was, who can understand God? Man, he does whatever he wants. Like, who can understand this guy? Like, we think he's going right, he goes left. Like, who can understand God? And that's their perspective of God. He sits in the heavens. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't get there. It's impossible, right? But then in the New Testament, when they quote that scripture, it says, who can know the mind of God? Who can understand him? And he finishes with this new promise that came through Jesus's blood. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. <sighs> Those times where you feel like, man, I don't, I don't understand God. What are you doing? Yeah, and so it's, we've all felt that. Like, what's going on? He, he wants to be understood. He's given us access to where we can think through his thoughts, where we can have the mind of Christ. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. He wants us to search out his thoughts. He wants us to have his thoughts on every area of our life. He wants us to think about our marriage the way he thinks about it. He wants us to think about that man who fell from grace the way he thinks about him. He wants us to think about our neighbor who, who they blew up their marriage through an affair. He wants us to think about them the way he does. 
He wants us to look at the person on the street who's homeless and you're like, come on, you're young. You can go get a job, right? We've had those thoughts like, dude, this is the best thought you had today was to go stay. Like how many have had those horrible thoughts? I have like, dude, this was your best idea. Go, man. There's plenty. Like he wants me to think about them the way he thinks about them. So God, we come to you right now. We give you our thoughts. Come on, why don't you just pray with me? We give you our thoughts. Man, they come fast and furious, the thoughts nonstop. Lord, we often don't know where the source is. We ask that you would help us to become better at deciding where's the source? Where is this thing coming from? Hmm. God, I pray that we would have increased sensitivity right now to your thoughts, the thoughts that originated from heaven. <laughs> come on. that we would take captive every thought, every thought, <laughs> that we would bring them all to you. Hey God, I thought this today. Was this you? Nope, okay. Throw it away, I'm gonna get a better thought. Hey Lord, I had this thought and I, 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 I started arguing it so that I could do what I wanted to do. Was that okay? Man, we know the answer before we ask. Nope, okay Lord. We bring that argument to you. We repent. Change our thinking. Change the thoughts that led us to that conclusion, to where we would stand and fight for it, where we would argue for it. God, help us to not pick up a cause that you didn't give us to pick up. I ask that you would redeem our reasoning right now, God. There's a divine way of thinking, God, that we want access to. We have the mind of Christ. Jesus, you paid a heavy price and it included the ability for me to think with your, with your thoughts, with your mind. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts today, God. I'm gonna ask you to do something on the next one, on the stronghold one. If you were one of those that you're like, man, I think I've been running into a trap instead of a strong tower, and I wanna feel safe. I haven't felt safe. Would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. So we're all gonna pray because he gave us all the authority and the power to pull down these strongholds. So God, right now, we take the authority that you gave us through your son, Jesus, and we pull down these false hiding places, these traps that look like places of safety. God, we ask right now that you would pull down every one of these strongholds, these places that we've fortified, maybe through long, a long time, maybe through our whole life. And God, we realize that it wasn't a safe place at all. The only safe place is with you. So we choose right now to come out of the hiding place that we built and we run to you. Your name is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, come on, and are safe. God, I just, I just speak this decree right now that as we run into the strong tower of your name, Jesus, that you will drive out all fear from our lives.
your perfect love will drive out all fear. There is no fear in love. And we are safe in your hands. You can be trusted, God. Would you say that, all of us? You can be trusted, God. I trust you, God. And those lofty ideas that have been elevated in society, even courts argue with them. Our education system argues with it. Our entertainment system, our government, it's everywhere. There is a way of thinking that has, that has become prevalent in the world systems. And God, we have to take some responsibility for it because we need to make war. And we pull down those thoughts right now. Those thoughts that argue for abortion, those thoughts that argue for transgender rights, those thoughts that argue for things that are against the very nature of God. Look, we don't hate people. We don't hate uh, what, what these people, who they are. We don't hate this. But God, we pull down this thinking that is not good. It's not good for our society. It's not merciful. It's a trap, God. And God, we ask right now that you are, I ask you to forgive me for the times I've fallen into faulty arguments and lofty ideas that sound really smart and wise, but are just foolish to you. God, we humble ourselves right now. You told us to not be wise in our own eyes. We humble ourselves. And then you told us if we lack wisdom, we could ask for it and you'd give it to us. So God, we're not wise. We don't have wisdom, but we know where to get it. And it's in you. And so today we ask you, God, for wisdom. Would you pray over your family right now? that you would direct and lead your family with wisdom. God, I ask that you would give us all wisdom. Wisdom to lead our families well, to raise our sons and daughters as Christ followers, disciples who love Jesus with all their heart. God, help us to steward our finances and our homes well from God's perspective. God, help us to entertain, entertain ourselves righteously, not legalistically, but righteously, God. Now we just surrender to you. I just want to invite you to, to make an altar. You can come here to the front. We, well, we love it when people come to the front to be prayed for and to pray, or just right at your seat is fine for today. Just kneel down, make a place, and just ask the Lord. Just have a conversation with Him. Just take a few moments. Lord, is there a, is there a thought in my head that you didn't send that I've let stay there? It's become an argument, a stronghold, a lofty thing. 
Holy Spirit, we, we ask, we sing it. Come like a flood, like a fire. Holy Spirit, come like a searchlight. Instruct us, Holy Spirit.